What smells like shoe polish? Be quiet. We have a promo to do. I'm Jeff Ferry, and this is my hetero podcast mate, Chris Durkotch. We are the hosts of the Jay and Silent Bob Minute. We break down the Kevin Smith films featuring Jay and Silent Bob one minute at a time, starting with Clerks. I have a hockey game at 12. Chris, please. So if you've ever worked a dead-end job behind the counter discussing Star Wars while slinging coffee, nudie mags, and cigarettes... Cancer merchant! Cancer merchant! Settle down! Or if you ever leaned outside a convenience store, secretly hated all your customers, or closed your place of business to attend a funeral, you should join us at Jane Silent Bob Minute on DuelingGenre.com as we discuss the milkmaids, berserkers, and the significance of the number 37. In a row? Come for the clerks, and stay for the rest of the Jane Silent Bob Minute fun. Right, Chris? I'm not even supposed to be here today. Hi, this is Michael McConaughey. I'm the voice of Vampire Hunter D and a lot of other things. I've been very fortunate in being able to be a whole lot of different people in my career. You are listening to the Vampire Movie Minute podcast, and you better enjoy it. The final five, six minutes, depending on what you're watching and where you want to end the film, and if you even speak Japanese, <laughs> I'm your host, Dr. Chris. And I'm Scott Danielson. And these are the final minutes of Vampire Hunter D, the anime from Japan from the 1980s. And we begin these minutes with D walking and end these minutes with a lot of Japanese text. I just can't even, <laughs> because I don't speak Japanese and neither does Scott. So it's no disrespect. We just don't speak the language in order to translate what is happening across the screen. Yes. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. We went with the version that uh, didn't, <laughs> didn't uh, post everything, everything completely in English. So uh, that would be why. And uh, I, I would say we've tried to cover as much information as we can outside. <laughs> so. And there might be something coming up connected to this movie that I can't say yet. At the time that you're listening to this, we probably would have announced it by now on social media. If not, this part might get it edited out. <laughs> but we got D walking across the temple weeds. He, well, he walks across. Okay, so I want to. I've got the movie in front of me, and I paused it at the one fifteen forty two second mark. And there's like this uh, mosque. Would you say that's a mosque that he walks past? I mean, it, it, it just rem- I mean, it's. The design looks like it's from the Middle East. I, w- I don't know if it's a mosque per se. Right, but it's never really clear what town he's in. Other than, well, n- what yeah. town he's in, right? Yeah, it looks. It doesn't. It doesn't look like it's. It would be honestly in the same. It looks like it's on another part of the world. I think that's what it's trying to emphasize. Like, oh, it could be like the Middle East. It could be somewhere else. It could be forever. And then he's walking to like the snowy mountains. Yeah, just walking as the <laughs> he he honestly looks like he's doing the Wayne's World bit where they're like walking with the green screen on behind them, like at certain points, <laughs> just because like the picture shifts and he doesn't move at all. It's funny. What it actually reminds me of is um, so. Have you ever what what it reminds me of is like the end credit sequences for anime shows. Does that make sense? Right. Because end credits for anime shows are usually just like kind of a collection of maybe somewhat related images that are not actually in the show. (laughs) So, (laughs) and so, but they usually have like all the, that's the credits are going over that at the same time. And that, this doesn't have that at all. And so that's what's so, and that's what's so funny is that they have the images by itself 
then they have the credits. <laughs> so it's just like, you probably could have done both at the same time. It's like, this has been standard and industry standard for years. And then we got just a lot of Japanese texting credits. Uh, we had a few names that popped up. I think we went over a lot of the cast. Is there anybody in the crew that you want to maybe pull, uh, pull out in English that uh, of anything significant? Um, not, not offhand. No, I think we've gone over pretty much everybody I can think of at the moment. Um, recently came out a, have you seen online, uh, and maybe it's popped up on your feed because it's definitely popped up on mine, uh, a Vampire Hunter D statue made by this company that once the statue sells out, it, that's it, it's over, no more. Oh dear. No, I haven't heard about that. Yeah. It's apparently a very expensive statue. Um, there's been a few Vampire Hunter D statues. Uh, there's a 10-inch one that you can get on eBay right now for like $38, which isn't too bad. And then, But there's this uh, one of D like hoisting his horse up with a bunch of what looks like vampires underneath him. It's called Brand Figurama. $200 for this statue, by the way. Oh, boy. Yeah, it's currently in stock. I'm sorry, it's $2,000. Excuse me, let me rephrase that. <laughs> <laughs> that. That sounds like a big difference to me. Um... Yeah, this statue is effing beautiful, by the way. It is amazing. By the way, there are also Vampire Hunter D action figures for the second movie. That's cool, too. Yeah, they're pretty easy to find. Um, Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. These are Vampire Hunter D action figures. Hmm, not helping. Not helping even a little bit. Oh, this is coming from Malaysia. But I think it's authentic, too, because they, they look like the ones that I remember coming out back then. But I don't know why I did not buy them. But yeah, the name of the company that's putting out the statue is Figurama. It's night. It's $1,980 before taxes and shipping. Oh, dear. It comes out September 3rd. Sorry, the, the pre-order date is September 3rd. That is when you can pre-order it. It is an incredibly beautiful statue, but it is, it is apparently this company, again, once these things sell out and every one of these statues have, that's it. It's over. Is this your way of announcing that we're going to go on a heist? Yeah, uh, we're going to totally steal someone's statue. Uh, nope. By the way, you can have 12 payments of $150 a month if you want it. <laughs> oh, no. Do you, do you, would your wife, uh, would you be able to justify this purchase to your wife? No, 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 no. Hey, I <laughs> look, babe, don't freak out. I got 12 months, no zero interest financing. It's perfect. <laughs> I know it's like it's like a car payment for two years, but it's fine. <laughs> yeah, for 12 months. I, I love this statue, but I've never spent a thousand dollars on a toy. Basically, a statue was like a toy, a toy before. This is ridiculous. I cannot believe this thing. Yeah, that's that's uh, advertising to a very particular crowd. Now, if somebody wants to send us one, that'd be great. Yeah, I mean, we're we're not gonna refute uh, refuse a gift. Oh God, it's so ridiculous. How this thing is so cool, but it is so expensive. Um, so we're gonna there'll be a. There'll be a little bit of a break, but starting in November, uh, because I think these episodes will finish out in October, but it's starting in November sometime, or hopefully in time for Thanksgiving, we're going to be starting our next film, which is going to be Dracula 1979, which we might have mentioned before in a previous episode, in case you missed it, starring Frank Langella with music by John, excuse me, John Williams. Yeah, it's very exciting. And technically D, being the son of Dracula, 
and Dracula being mentioned in this movie. Long lost son time. of Frank Langella. What? <laughs> D is the son of Frank Langella. Sure. I'm sure Frank Langella's own son <laughs> would agree. Uh, by the way, did you know the reason why Frank Langella wanted to play the role of Skeletor was because of his son? Yeah, no, I heard about that. Yeah, so we'll definitely get into some Skeletor territory because I uh, I've wanted to do much the, Master of the Universe minute for a long time. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yes, uh, Dr- uh, Dracula 1979, which is available from Screen Factory, um, it ju- they just put out a, a Blu-ray special edition of the movie. Uh, it is fantastic. I have been in love with the artwork that accompanied the Broadway play that Franklin Jell played Dracula on, which was done by the late great Edward Gorey been Gory's house and seen the uh the uh the photos and displays of uh Frank as Dracula. I I'm almost gonna be hundred percent wrong on this, but I swear to God I, I I think I am correct as well. Do you know who followed up Frank Langella as Dracula when he left Broadway? Uh no. Raul Julia. <laughs> Raul Julia? Yeah <laughs> Julia. Uh, which is like that's like the perfect person to play Dracula. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so we decided to do one of the Dracula movies. We might do another one in the far-flung future. But for now, we're going to do Dracula 1979 because it's a pretty decent film. So stay tuned for that after this episode. And we, again, might have a special episode, but I can't say much more about it yet. We'll be back with another exciting movie here on the Vampire Movie Minute podcast. Where can they find us, Scott? We're the Vampire Minute on Twitter, the Vampire Movie Minute on Facebook. And I can be found at Scott C. Danielson on Twitter for all sorts of other movie fun. And you can also send us an email, thatradiohorror at gmail.com with any questions, comments, and concerns that you might have had about the podcast. Uh, or find me on Radio Horror on Facebook, Radio Horror on YouTube, and at Chris D-S-A-B on Twitter. It is not Radio Horror on Twitter. That account is an egg, and it's like long past its expiration date from the first time I tried it. <laughs> it's a, it's a rancid egg. Leave it yeah, leave basically it. I tried to enter Twitter back in 2008 when it was all hot and popular, and then I failed. And then in 2013, a guest from the Resident Evil video game series convinced me I should get back on Twitter. <laughs> and I've been stuck ever since. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so anyway. A horrible uh, prison. But, huh? I said just a horrible prison that we're yeah, all basically. in. <laughs> but we do have a uh, Twitter account that you guys should follow and a Facebook page. The Twitter account has a lot more attention to it than the Facebook page. But anyway, I digress. We'll be back in a few weeks with Dracula 1979 here on the Vampire Movie Minute Podcast. Thank you for following our coverage of Vampire Hunter D, the anime. Tonight on the show, unfortunately, Scott is not able to join me, but I have an amazing guest on the show with us tonight. The voice of Vampire Hunter D, as well as a voice actor with an IMDb credit list that goes on and 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 all the way to the live long day, all the way to currently right now and projects he's working on. Please introduce yourself to our audience. Hey everyone, it's Michael McConaughey. Hope you're all well. Thank you so much for coming on the show. A lot of people probably know you for your most recent anime and stuff you've worked on, like Seven Deadly Sins, Soul Calibur, and and so much more. It's just it's unbelievable how how much voice acting work you can do in a year. It's it's incredible. Well, you have to understand that it didn't all necessarily happen in the same year. No. Um, but it is it you live long enough, it the list tends to grow. It really does. So right off the bat, uh, because Scott is unfortunately not able to be here, he did have a question for you about Hunter XX Hunter. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, that is not an anime I have seen before, but he would love to hear some uh, information and uh, any tidbits of uh, that you have about behind the scenes working on it. Well, there's not really a... Oh, gosh. I hate to say this. There's not really a whole lot of behind the scenes. Okay. Um, as you've spoken to other actors, you know, basically, you're in a box all by yourself. Right. With a director in, in your head. And um, if you are fortunate and things were written well, it'll be a good session and everything will fit pretty well. And if it's not, then there's going to be a lot of rewind, uh, rewriting and you're going to be rewinding too, for that matter. And uh, things are not going to be as smooth as they could be. Um, but basically it's um, when you're on the inside, it's making cookies stamp out the cookie go on to the next one um and that's an unromantic way to look at it but when we take them line by line and you're just the only one in it and especially if you're the first one to start a session there's nobody else for you to listen to and the uh the dialogue of course has been adapted from what it was in the original language sometimes it's close Sometimes not so much. Um, so it's it's a bit of a trial, but if you're lucky enough to be, oh, you know, the sixth or seventh actor coming in and a lot of other people have been there already, then you've got a world to slide into, which is um, a lot more comfortable and less daunting than going in there. It, uh, what was it? Um I think Hemingway called uh, it facing the white bull, which is paper with no words on it. And the uh, the audio aspect of that is just the same, facing the blank screen, which is an anime with no one to talk to. Do you miss the days where you used to be able to do it like a big group, or do you like the... Oh, animation? my Lord, yes. Oh, yes. absolutely. Yeah, okay. the, the original animation, there is... No comparison, um, because people in in original animation you get to uh, bring a little something more to it. You're creating the performance to begin with. Uh, when you're dubbing something, the performance is pretty much there. You're you have some nice tight parameters because there's a picture. You've got to match the picture, and if you're not, as an actor, believably angry or relaxed or whatever, it's not going to play right. Um, and there are some times when you do get a chance to play a little bit in dubbing. I mean, it's not all a grind by any stretch. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm trying to say. Um, but it is at once freeing because you have a groove to get into with a dubbed project and at the same time it's harder because you have that groove to get into it's it's a sword with two edges what's probably the biggest anime that you that most people you know like know your voice from or, or associate you uh in connection to i mean like me with you know it's transformers and vampire hunter d but i'm sure a lot of people probably have different picks 
Oh, sure. Um, <laughs> the first and the bloodiest, the fist of the North Star. Yes. Um, that was um, that was an eye opener for me uh, because that was um, <laughs> I actually hadn't watched much in the way of anime. Uh-huh. and got into that. And uh, that was for Streamline, of course, and got into that and started working and. I saw the script and that's what it was. That's fine. Saw the picture and went, whoop, hello. Oh my, look at all that juice. He has no head. (laughs) It it was quite an eye-opening experience. Uh, But I've been really lucky to be involved with uh, a huge number of things. And what I would think would be the favorite for anime fans is probably not what they would think. I mean, everyone has their own little thing they go to. I uh, I did one called Gungrave. And what I liked about that is that uh, the character I played, Big Daddy, he was like the big uh, leader of the, of the crime syndicate. And it was all a very low and human performance. He was an older man, was in love with a younger woman, but it wasn't working out. And it was a chance to do some honest goodness acting because the actor who had that role before was just killer. That was a hell of a performance. And uh, getting into the skin of a real person as opposed to a giant screaming maniac or a monster or whatever was uh, truly a different experience for me. I, I greatly enjoyed it. And I had much the same reaction with, say, not quite as much as Fist of the North Star with Vamp D. And when you go back and look at that film again, with eyes that are maybe 10 years older from the last time you looked at it, there's always something else to see. Um, Unlike some of my friends, I don't like to watch my work really when when it's done it's in a can boom move on so i i I don't go back and and look and analyze and say oh i could have done this or i could have done that it's too late Mm -hmm. you can't change the performance it's either going to work or it's not um but every once in a while i have i guess every every 10 to 15 years i guess see a little bit of something and Wow, the things, the atmosphere for Vamp D and the performances that we got out of the English actors was just really, really uh, like a piece of clockwork, I thought. And yes, for all of you listening, left hand, that's me. That's not Kirk Thornton. That's me. Did you ever see the? Uh, did you ever see the? Uh, uh, what was it? The uh, the the sequel they did? Bloodlust? No. 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 I I did uh did a trailer for it. Always did a trailer for it, but uh, no, I didn't see it. It's a lot of people don't understand it. I don't watch anime except for research. Uh huh. 
And people say, well, well how can you not? It, it's, it's, you know, there's so much to see it. Yes, there is. But it's like the old joke from, uh, I think it was the fourth Star Trek movie, where um, the lady goes to Captain Kirk and says, well, you know, but what's the problem? You're from outer space. He says, no, no, I'm from Iowa. I, I only work in outer space. Outer space. <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> yeah. And anime is where I work. Uh, I, I People always ask, say, you know, what anime do you watch? And generally I don't, unless, as I say, it's for research. If you're an accountant, you don't do taxes to relax. Uh-huh. And uh, that's, that's what used to be called a busman's holiday when... Uh, the bus driver's been working all week, and here comes the weekend. It, it it's a holiday, and okay, everyone pile in the car. Dad's gonna drive. Not the most exhilarating or relaxing thing in the world. Um, and that's pretty much where I have to leave it for that because I don't. One of the worst things you can do. To destroy enjoyment of something is to work in it, mm-hmm. um, like working with a magician. When you do that, magic's never the same. Or if you work in a theme park, which I've, I've worked in a few theme parks in my younger days, and it's not the same. Uh, you never go if, if if you work at a Renaissance fair and then try to go to one just to enjoy yourself, it's not the same. There's always a slight remove. And for me, anyway, I'm not able to enjoy it as it deserves to be enjoyed. It's uh, the same way I don't watch a lot of foreign movies. Because if they're subbed or if they're dubbed, it's this is kind of like research. And I don't want it to be research. So I, I will admit, honestly, I, I've missed a lot of, uh, of, of good film experience. I totally that. understand that. I mean, as a writer, I am finding myself more and more uh, finding it harder to read sometimes for myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what yeah. Uh, What do you, by the way, what what do you find? Uh, what do you do for entertainment, uh, whether it's books, TV, movies, music? Uh, books. I, uh, I'm there, there's a book or two in me trying to crawl out. I just can't find the time to make it happen, but I, the most pleasure I've gotten in the last 20 years is reading the Terry Pratchett books, the Discworld books. And if you're not familiar with them, they are very, very British and very, very funny. And everyone is holding a mirror up to a different society. And uh, there are continuing characters, and at this point, I don't know how many, there are dozens of these books. Yeah, I mean, uh, doesn't, uh, isn't um, uh, Good Omens one of his with Neil Gaiman? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay, that's yep. the one I'm mostly familiar with because of the TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, and Terry, per- per- Terry's passed away, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the, the, the greatest losses I can think of because when he went, it was dementia and that incredible intellect and brilliant sense of humor. Uh, 
was stolen away from him. And you know, he knew it was happening. It's just, it, it makes me very, very melancholy. I greatly appreciate the gifts he's given the world and selfishly me. And uh, don't want you to go that way, but most in particular, no one with the sort of luminosity he brought to literally the whole world. I mean, that, that was his audience. The, the translations, you pick a language, the, the books are in it, like, like the Harry Potter books. Uh-huh. Um, oh, I'm sorry, but back on Vampty, I, I didn't uh, finish pontificating on that. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> um, well, here's also a good question. Have, sure. Did you know, were you aware there are 39 books connected to that film? No, I did not. Yeah, the movie is based on the first novel. The second movie is based on the third novel. Currently, right now, and I have one sitting right next to me in my hand, Dark Horse um, Comics manga is republishing mm -hmm. for the second time all of the novels, now in omnibuses, so you get three novels in omnibus. Um, mm -hmm. The second volume just came out. The third volume will be out in January. So anyone who missed the first printing for the first time in English ever, the books, they are reprinting them now in omnibuses. So you get three books for three books for $20. So these would be translated manga. Uh, no, translated novels. They're not manga, actually. They're they're They are. They were in Japan originally, but these are all okay. actual just novels uh, with the artist who is responsible for the creation of Final Fantasy. Right. And OK. And so he is respecting the original. OK, that that's fabulous. That really is. I I did not know uh, that that part of the history. Um, the uh, my memories of it are <laughs> that happened during the the early streamlined days when it was kind of the wild west, and uh, around about the time we tell the old story of uh, it, it's before anime was anime. Uh, we were calling it Japanimation. And the idea at the time was to make things as American as you could. And it slowly changed and came around to retaining more of the original character. And it was films like Vampire Hunter D and Fist that helped push that movement. Um, and that would have been, that was Carl Masek uh, and his crew. But that was the film where I met so many other people who have been a part of my life all the way up to today. Uh, Barbara Goodson, just a dear, dear friend. And we've been working and talking and, and corresponding, you know, since back in the mid eighties because of that film and those films. So aside from everything else, I owe D a big debt of gratitude for bringing me a great many of my friends. That's fantastic. Is there any other particular thing by the way of a title or a series that you're interested in? I I'm trying to think back. Yeah. I mean, and, um, I, 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 as I mentioned, I'm a, I'm a big I grew up in the 80s, so mm -hmm. I, I grew up on all of the 80s cartoons that everyone mm -hmm. is familiar with. 
visionaries, GI Joe, Transformers, just unbelievable. And you know, finding out that you're the voice, you were the voice of uh, you know Cosmos and Tracks. I was like, oh, that is fantastic. I honestly, growing up for a long time, I always thought Tracks was the guy from Gilligan's Island until yes. I got older. <laughs> yeah, it, it's easy. Well, that's where the the voice actually goes back even further than uh, Jim Backus, who as Thurston Howell the Third. Yes, that's uh, it right. goes back before that to probably a little earlier for you, a show called The Many Loves of Dobie Gillis. And there was uh, an actor on there named Steve Franken, and, and um, his character was Chatsworth Osborne Jr. And that character is a standard that goes back in vaudeville. It's called the Harvard Lockjaw. Because, you know, you have to tighten up your jaw when you're speaking. And uh, I was just carrying on a tradition there with that one. I, I can't claim any any major genius accomplishment. But I have to say that since then, Trax has taken me around the track a few times and taken me to the woodshed a few times. There are times he just, he just flat takes over. And there's nothing I can do about it. And Cosmos is, I mean, they're, they're two completely different characters. I mean, the, and the voice is very different. Cosmos has this very, like, you know, everything's in trouble. And Trax is just like, you know, barrels into it, you know. And I, it was um, two of the more unique characters from the uh, the second season of uh, Toys that came around. Mm -hmm. uh, Cross Country and G.I. Joe. Uh, which uh, I I didn't uh, I had to really look up to figure out to remember who he was because I'm a big GI <laughs> Joe fan. Oh. Um, I, I, something else I I don't, I'm not sure if you're aware the comic book that Marvel did back in the 80s and through the 90s was picked up again by IDW and is about to hit 300th issue and they're going to, it's going to be the end of uh, the uh, the Larry Hama GI Joe. Mm -hmm. No, I, I I wasn't aware of that. I uh, I didn't read the comics because I didn't want it to re-channel my thinking regarding what I was doing because this was a case where uh, we had all the actors there creating the characters. Right. And, uh, you know, Sergeant Robert M. Blaze um, was, oh, he was obnoxious. I'm sorry, sweet and courageous and all of that, but the attack on that voice was it could go through your head sometimes, especially if he was going, yo, Joe. But I've still got people coming up to me today saying that, you know, I, I liked him because he, he seemed so approachable, which is a really interesting thing to say about something coming out of a little box. And that's one of the greatest pleasures I've had uh, if I had an accomplishment, I would say it would be to be part of things where people's lives are affected, where people build relationships. I go to conventions and there's always someone coming up to say, you know, when, when I was a kid, you know, what's a babysitter in the 80s? The TV. So many kids learned everything that sort of formed their lives and form the paths their lives would take through the TV. So many latchkey kids and, and people. Oh, God, that, I was one of them. Yeah. And 
the friendships and relationships that got formed with these characters on the television is amazing. And it is, uh, as I find out at, at conventions, it is a terrible responsibility to avoid hurting that relationship. That That's going to lead to my next question. What What's sure. the weirdest, most unusual fan experience you've ever had? I have one. Um, BotCon in 2007, the original owners, mm-hmm. uh, I was a person behind. I was with my brother. We'd gotten in line early to meet Peter Cullen. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was, this was by the way, the first time BotCon was ever in Rhode Island, too. So it was right in the home of Hasbro. And we were in line. There's a guy ahead of me. Nice chap talking to him, you know, seemed very friendly. Peter arrives at his table, waves to everyone, you know, asks everyone, how did everyone think of the movie? Yay, great. All right, let's 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 meet some people and do some signings. This guy drops his stuff at my feet, gets down on his hands and knees, and starts crying in front of Peter Cullen about how Optimus Prime was the father figure he never had because his dad abandoned him and his family and so on and so forth. And Peter is looking up at me like, What do I do? I'm like Transform, roll out, Optimus Prime. <laughs> yep, that's like he is literally it. he he's a little. I, I I think he's probably experienced this before, but this guy was in tears. Yeah, uh, that <clears throat> they may not be falling, but they are usually there um, in the eyes of of someone at every convention I've ever been at, and Optimus Prime much more so than my uh, any of my characters. Um. Tracks and Cosmos, they're you know they're they're more like interesting brothers or cousins, right? But Peter, Peter was everyone's dad, and it absolutely is a bond that you have to be incredibly careful not to damage. Right. I've had yeah. that happen. Don't meet your heroes sometimes, and sometimes always meet your heroes. And most times, thank God, most of the time. 15 years doing the radio show I do where this podcast kind of spins off of. I do an actual radio show on the dial and I've interviewed tons and tons and tons and tons of people, voice acting, actors, actresses, directors, producers, makeup artists, comic book people, authors, everything uh, from sci-fi fantasy and horror. And 90% of the time, thank God it's been really nice, but every once in a while it's don't be heroes. Yeah. Well, because uh, that may not be clay on the feet. It may be something even worse. Right. Definitely. So going back to my question for you, I just told you Peter's weirdest experience. What has been your weirdest fan experience? Um, well, there were, <laughs> this was at a, a convention at a high school in uh, San Antonio. This is like 15 years or so ago. And uh, they had a, a very small anime club and they they did benefits. They did bake sales. They did car washes to get the money to bring me there. Uh, I mean, normally someone is not going to go to a high school anime club, but um, the fellow who organized it actually went on to um, go to, Oh, good Lord. You moron. That brain cell just died. Um a university specializing in uh, people who are going into uh, animation and games. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, never mind. 
Uh, that's a, knocking a little gloss off me. But he had organized this and worked so hard, and I went there. And it, it was just a one-day affair, and they could just about afford the, hope, uh, the, the motel room. And um, at this point, I'll say I, my appearance fee was $25. Uh, so, no, I did not make money on that con. But with people who have put that much of themselves into the effort of making it happen, you can't just shine that on either. So, the interesting thing is, I was forced to sign an English teacher. Everyone gathered around in a big circle and said, sign her, sign her, sign her. She said, yeah, sign me. It's like, oh, Lord, every high school fantasy I've ever had bubbling up to the surface right there. Take a magic marker and write on the English teacher. Oh, baby. And yes, she was, in fact, quite attractive. And I was incredibly circumspect. But that's the only time I think I've ever been asked to sign a person. And you can expect that sort of um, revelry coming out of the students. But uh, I guess she was an anime fan, too. Okay. That's There it is. That 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 is that is rather unusual, especially at their own teacher too. Yeah. So it, you know, it's oh good heavens, it's a real life yes teacher. <laughs> um, oh mother. Yikes, that's crazy. Do you um you so you do both uh anime and uh anime or cartoons, um, video games and and some live action as well. What seems mm-hmm. to be the best? What what seems to be the easiest job to do? I mean, it's all in a it, it's all in a booth, you know. It, but I'm assuming there is something. Maybe one requires more than the other. Well, at this point, I would have to say the easiest to get into is uh, whatever is going on with the Blizzard games. I've I've been working. Uh, blizzard for probably 30 years they are incredibly loyal and the the games they produce are so incredibly detailed and the worlds are so thick with their own reality and the characters have these tremendous arcs that they make in their lives and so when i'm going into the lich king or kelthuzad or Booth of the Lightbringer. Those people, they they jump into the driver's seat and take off. I'm just along for the ride. And it's as much enjoyment, I think, as anyone would get from playing the game. Because I'm watching it and hearing it happen as those guys are running my mouth. I'm not always sure what's going to come out in terms of a performance. Uh, And the directors there are uh, really open to allowing experimentation and a little improvisation. And the, uh, that is like putting on a 
nicely broken in set of leather gloves. They just slide on in, there it is, and motoring on down the performance. Uh, dubbing, especially for a new project, is probably the hardest work. It certainly is um, in terms of any vocal performance because of having to hit the time code, having to match the mouth movements, if it's written correctly, and if something looks like it's sloppy sync, the actors are going to hear about it. But generally speaking, it's not the actors. They don't generally write and adapt the scripts. And you can have a perfect performance sync-wise, and when you see the release, it looks like nothing is anywhere where it should be because when they did the layback, they shifted it three frames. So everything is out of sync and it looks like a, a an old horrible Chop Saki movie. Um, many times some really, really fine work has been boogered up in distribution. So anytime you see something that looks like it, it isn't, in as good sync as it could be, cut the actors some slack because it's probably not their fault. That was a good words. The closest amount of uh, any kind of voice acting I've done is usually in, um, been the uh, producer and director of uh, audiobooks. Uh, mm -hmm. I've produced about five, six one based on my own uh, version of Dracula, we gender swapped the cast of uh, Dracula called Lada a Dracula Tale. <laughs> Zoom is going to be kicking us off soon, Michael. Yes, so sir. I, what? Sorry, go ahead. No, I'm, I'm just responding. Oh, okay. Zoom is going to be kicking us off soon. So I appreciate you so much uh, spending some time with us to talk a little bit about uh, Vampire Hunter D, which is what this podcast has been covering every episode as the voice of D, as well as uh, some of the history of your, your your voice talent. I mean, there's so much to still go over and we could probably spend hours going through every show. But uh, thank you so much for giving us your time to talk about uh, the, uh, the just the incredible body work that you've done over the last, you know, like 30, 40 years. Well, would that I'd been a little more prepared. And uh, if we ever talk again about a project, I will go against my usual uh, inclination and I'll go back and watch it so I know what to talk about. Oh, that's, yeah. I, hopefully I didn't overly stump you with too much. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay. It's just that after all this time, how many thousands of performances are there? Right. Before Zoom kicks us off, can we get yes, you to do a soundbite for us introducing the podcast? Sure. Okay. So what you'll say is, you're, uh, hi, this is Michael, your name, and you're listening to Scott and uh, you, you're, um, yeah, this is this is uh, this is Michael. I'm the voice of D from Vampire Hunter D, as well as a countless other things. <laughs> and you're listening to the Vampire Movie Minute podcast. The Vampire Minute movie. The the, the Vampire, Vampire Movie Mo Minute, Minute podcast. Sure. Go uh, ahead. Hi, this is Michael McConaughey. I'm the voice of D and Vampire Hunter D and a whole lot of other things. And you are listening to the Vampire Movie Minute. And I blew it already. I was so close. I was so close. All right. Take it again for the top. Okay. 
Why don't you give me a clue? Let's let's run out again. All right. Hi, it's me. You're listening to the Vampire Movie Minute podcast. That's the word I forgot. Go. Hi, this is Michael McConaughey. I'm the voice of Vampire Hunter D and a lot of other things. I've been very fortunate in being able to be a whole lot of different people in my career. You are listening to the Vampire Movie Minute podcast, and you better enjoy it. Thank you so much. That was awesome. <laughs> that that is that is my uh, that is now my favorite uh, my favorite soundbite. We we've got a we've got a we've got a few which are always great. Um, we we uh, we got some from. Uh, do you ever seen the uh, the Jim Carrey film Once Bitten? Oh, good grief! Way back when, yes. Yeah, we. I went out of my way tracking people down from that movie. Of course, Jim Carrey would be impossible, but <laughs> but tracking people down left and right. And I got real lucky because it was during the pan- the height of the pandemic. So mm-hmm. not a lot of people were doing anything. <laughs> and it, it was like left and right. I was finding like little actors here and there or people behind the scenes and the writer and the stunt coordinator and the, and the dance choreographer oh, from the big dance at the high school. And I got one of the main characters too, who played uh, one of Jim Carrey's best friends in the movie. That was really cool. But uh, it has been an absolute honor having you on the podcast. Uh, thank you so very much. Thank you.